the worst bestsellers, where we read about herbs so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Outlander Kitchen by Teresa Carl Sanders. Joining us to discuss this money grab cookbook is Paula Forbes, who reviews cookbooks for LuckyPeach.com and is working on her first cookbook, due out in spring 2018. Hi, Paula. Hi. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. I also want to say it's not your first cookbook, Paula, because I still have your first cookbook oh in my kitchen. <laughs> we don't um, talk about that. <laughs> um, it was when well, Paula and I went to college together, and it came out in our student press. And it's a very cute little cookbook. But this is her first cookbook with a publisher. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, lots less swearing in this cookbook. <laughs> Well, now I'm disappointed, but okay. <laughs> I'll work on it. <laughs> so uh, if you are new-ish to Worst Bestsellers, perhaps you have not listened to our Outlander episode. We had a lot of fun, question mark, reading Outlander. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also we're really confused by it. And I would say reading this cookbook didn't help at all. No. I, I will also say here that one of the greatest iTunes reviews we have is from someone who listened to the Outlander episode and decided that we were pretending that we didn't understand Outlander to be funny. Yeah. <laughs> and so just if there's any confusion, like, we we are genuinely confused about it. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um... So if, if you're not at all familiar with the Outlander phenomenon, it's a series of books by Diana Gobbledone, which I feel like I looked up how to say her name and then I forgot it, so maybe that's it, maybe it's not. Uh, anyway, the, the first one is about a woman named Claire, who uh, is a 1945 World War II nurse, and she accidentally time travels back to... 1700s? Uh, old timey. Yeah. We just yeah. called it old timey the entire time. <laughs> Travels back to. Uh, it is that because at some point she ends up in the Revolutionary War. Okay. Um, but not in the first one. But yeah, she ends up back in olden times, falls in love with this Scottish gentleman named Jamie Fraser, and just all kinds of things happen. But one of our complaints about the book is that it's like 800 pages long and like. 200 pages of it are just descriptions of her gathering various herbs from various <laughs> gardens. <laughs> mm -hmm. And she was, like, the author's clearly like, I did all this research about herbs, and here you go. Here's all of it. <laughs> and so that uh, was kind of a joke we had about the book. And then when we heard this cookbook was coming out, we were like, oh, it's just going to be, like, all herbs, all how to grow herbs and, like, what to do with it. And it actually is not that. There's only one herb that we ended up using in our recipes. Um, two, if you count the fact that then some of one of the... Uh, we, we consolidated oil. Frying oil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, I think the sage made the other thing, too. We'll, we'll get into that. Yeah. But uh, So this, this cookbook is based on a blog that Teresa Carl Sanders, which, side note, I keep wanting to call her Colonel Sanders, but that's not <laughs> it. <laughs> She has a blog that is still active, and you can still see some of these recipes on her blog. And it's called uh, Outlander Kitchen is the name of the blog. And she has this intro about how she's trying to do, like, a fine line between historically accurate recipes versus, like, what you can actually reasonably make at a normal grocery store. And then some of the recipes are just like, yeah, well, and also I needed to fill out this cookbook, so here you go. Like, one of them is just, it's Diana Gabaldon's enchiladas recipe, and it's like, yeah, they don't eat enchiladas ever in Outlander, but this is a recipe that Diana makes all the time, so enjoy it. <laughs> and it, I didn't make it, it didn't even really look like a very good enchiladas recipe, but it's in there. Yeah. Pretty soon, I guess we'll jump into talking about, like, the recipes and all that. I do want to say that I think this book would be a really good gift for, like, if your mom is really into Outlander. It's, like, a, it's like pretty to look at. Uh, it would look nice on your shelf. It's got some pretty photos in it. It's pretty weird, though. Yeah, I, I will say I did appreciate... Um, I am a person who needs validation pretty much constantly. <laughs> so I like cookbooks where they show you pictures of what everything looks like because I need to at least have some idea of what I'm doing and not 
be just going totally blind into a recipe. So I did like that there was a picture of, I think, every recipe, which is nice, because then you know, you know, oh, I'm totally on target, or, oh, this is a garbage fire, <laughs> I don't know what happened. Um, so that part was helpful. Mm -hmm. The food tasted good. Yeah, the stuff we made is fine. The As we were saying before, she's trying to tie a lot of it to the series in a way that just, it's such a far reach for a lot of it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's just like, oh, they mentioned, what is it, the broccoli salad? Where yeah. they're like, they meant, I mentioned, they mentioned broccoli here. So here's a broccoli salad. They wouldn't have made this back then. But you can bring it to a potluck. <laughs> it's, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's broken up, you know, like uh, main dishes, soup, appetizers, whatever. And then every recipe has like, a, like three or four paragraphs from one of the Outlander books that sometimes is like a pretty clear description of like, Claire went to the kitchen and cut up her herbs and made this soup with, like, this and this and this. But a lot of times it's, like, way more casual and just, like, Ugh. yeah, it's tangentially related. And I feel like they really oversell it in uh, Diana Gabaldon wrote the introduction and then um, Teresa Carl Sanders writes kind of a foreword or vice versa. But, like, they kind of oversell, like, food is such an important part of the Outlander experience and... Like, reading about all the food, and it's like, then why... I don't think it's as important as... It's not, at least, it's not a full cookbook, I don't think, important. Yeah. I like this part in the introduction where she's talking, where she's basically, like, making a case for cookbooks in general. Like, she goes through this whole thing about everyone has to eat, and then yes. we have cookbooks. And it's like, <laughs> okay. Yeah, so um, Kate and I have been talking, and Kate and I, I think, maybe would both describe ourselves as, like, casual cooks. Like, mm -hmm. neither of us are like, oh, I never cook, I only do, like, frozen foods. Like, we cook, but I'm definitely, like, still low-level in my skill set. And, like, oh my god, in uh, Teresa Colonel Sanders' intro, she says, like, and I think the most valuable thing you can do to help yourself with this cookbook is, like, go take some community classes on knife skills. And I was like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna keep using my own personal knife skills that I have. Yeah, like, I would say I, I try to cook... It, interestingly, I don't cook dinner a lot. What I'll do is cook a big meal that I portion out for lunches for two weeks. Yeah, I do that. For a week and a half, and then eat toast for dinner, <laughs> <laughs> like a real adult. Yeah, um, yeah, But I, like, I, I would say I'm the type of person who knows about what about 50% of the terminology is in a cookbook and can kind of reasonably fake the rest of it. Mm -hmm. um, I took, I did take cooking classes in middle school and high school, even though they weren't required, mm -hmm. but because the bar was so low because people would take it thinking it was an easy A. The fact that I could follow a recipe gave me an automatic A in the class while other people struggled. But yeah, like I, I would say I, I sort of, I know more than most people about how, like what the difference between mincing and chopping and cubing and grating and zesting, like, I, but I'm not like super good. Yeah, like, I'll give one example, and then I do want to turn this over to Paula so she can actually talk about it like an actual expert. But <laughs> one example, one of the things I made was these cinnamon scones, and part of the instruction is to take a cold stick of butter and then grate it. And I was like, okay, like, I've never done this, but I have butter, and I have one of those cute little graters, I can do this. And then... I'm sure there's a different way I was supposed to do this, but I was, like, holding the butter, and it all melted while I was grating it. And I was like, this cannot be right. But she, her instruction was just, like, just grate it. And I was like, okay. And so I feel like if you're aiming this at kind of a beginner, maybe there should have been another step in there that was, like, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't even know. But it tasted fine. Like, I think the scones turned out fine, despite my amateurish grating of butter. So that's what, Paula, what do you have to say about this? Um, okay, well, um, I think that, like, a lot of what's going on here is it's, she talks about how she went to culinary school, and she's a chef and all of that, and a lot of it is, like, sort of professional style cooking, um, like, the recipe I made was this cream mushroom soup that, in the beginning, she says is based off the classic recipe from Escoffier, who is, like, a famous old French chef, um, <laughs> And, like, she, you're right, like, she talks about all of these things that are, like, um, 
very high level cooking techniques. Like the soup is thickened with a liaison of egg yolks and cream, which is like a technique that I don't think you would ever see outside of a restaurant. Um, but she does it so that it's gluten free. Yeah. I looked at that one actually. Cause I was like, oh, I like mushroom soup. And then I read the instructions like, Oh no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. It's actually pretty easy, but it like, like using that sort of like high level technique language, I think scares people off sometimes. Correct. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I found all the recipes to, that I read. That was only when I tested, but the ones that I read all seemed like very classic. Um, there are a few things I found a little off. Like she says that you can use salted and unsalted butter interchangeably, which I like straight up don't think is true. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, for the most part, the recipes I think like hold up as recipes. Um, that is not the weird part of this book i don't think <laughs> right um by the way this is paula's first time on worst bestsellers but she hasn't been behind the scenes before because if you listen to the episode about um the perfect letter the uh oh what's his name the guy the guy from The Bachelor, Chris Harrison. He wrote that book that we read, and a big part of it was about how nobody in New York like knows what a taco is, or a burrito, or like anything. And so I was just like, Paula, tell me what's the best like Texas cookbook to put on readers' advisory, so that <laughs> like I know this is just like a joke that no one's even gonna click on, but I'd like it to be the best one, and I, <laughs> I trust your input. So. Thank you. <laughs> that said, uh, what did you think of the taco recipe, which I thought was fucking random for a Scottish... And she does actually say this is not a Scottish cookbook because Outlander, blah, blah, blah. But also, I thought it was really weird to have this fish taco recipe in here. Well, they do actually eat fish tacos, I guess, in one of the books. Like, the quote is about them eating fish tacos. The part of that that I thought was funny was she was like... I mean, I, I've read the first book. I haven't read whatever book that that's pulling from. But she says something like, this is not the taco they would have eaten in 1969. They would have eaten cardboard tortillas and, like, a mayonnaise sauce. Right. Actually, yeah, I do remember that now because I was like, oh, yeah, I don't know what the fuck is happening in these books. Like, why are they in the 70s eating tacos now? But Or 1960s, but Yeah, sure. I thought that was weird. I thought I that was strange. There's a couple, a couple people I know watch the show and have read the books, and I guess they just, like, fucking time travel. Once they, they find that time travel spot, they can just go back and forth to all sorts of different time periods. Mm. Mm. Um, but also the people eating the tacos were not characters I had heard of before. Because then there's, like, a whole bunch that are about her kid. Oh, maybe that was her kid eating tacos. Yeah, I think the kid is Brianna. Oh, Yeah. yeah. These books are so weird. They're very, they're very strange. <laughs> Come at me, iTunes reviewers. These books are weird. <laughs> they are very strange. That was actually something that I was thinking about with this book is that, like, this is the only circumstances under which you would ever have all of these recipes together in one place. Like, you would yeah. never have, like heavy on the Scottish recipes combined with like a weird handful of revolutionary era North Carolina food. <laughs> and like, yeah, like these random like 60s tacos and then like things that the author likes. I don't yeah. know. It's like this weird, like these recipes would never be in the same place. And yet here we are. Yes. Do we want to talk a little bit about this concept of, like, a fandom cookbook in general? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I guess, because we were, we were joking in the kitchen when we were cooking. Renata came over before this episode, and we made a whole bunch of the recipes together. Um, and uh, if you're a Patreon subscriber, uh, stay tuned to our upcoming newsletter, where <laughs> you can see uh, some in-progress pictures of these. Um, <laughs> smooth, smoothly done. <laughs> smooth like this cocktail that you made from the Outlander cookbook. <laughs> um, and Renata had like jokingly said, like, I wonder how long it'll take someone to make a Hamilton cookbook, and I was like, I'll buy it <laughs> because I have like as a fan person. Not infrequently, I have parties with other fan people that I know where I, there'll be theme parties. Like, we had a party for the Tony Awards this year that was largely Hamilton-themed, because obviously it was mm -hmm. Hamilton's year at the Tonys. 
And there, there was, I did spend a lot of time Googling like fake revolutionary era recipes that were easy to make for someone who's lazy, um, <laughs> revolutionary era cocktails, all sorts of stuff to, to try and make it, if not authentic on theme, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I'm one of those people who like takes all of the Fanish cocktails and saves them so that the next time, like I have a Doctor Who themed party, I can pull out my Doctor Who themed cocktails that people on the internet have made. So I, I think it's definitely an idea that people will buy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sure people have bought tons of these. I, I think in my notes, I think I said that the person who should buy this is the person who's having an Outlander-themed party for their book club, or as a present for your mom, parentheses, if she likes Outlander. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. Um, I... Actually, I think my mom gave me a Star Wars cookbook that I've never made anything out of, but it looks kind of cute on my shelf. Um, the other experience I have with, like, a fandom recipe is one time at the library, I was having this Lord of the Rings event, and I don't really, like, give a shit about Lord of the Rings, but it was something that was kind of requested, so I did it, and I was like, okay, and I'll, like... What's that thing from Lord of the Rings? I'll see if I can find a recipe for Lembus bread and make that, I guess. And I did, and it was kind of hard to make, and the kids did not give a shit about it. And I was like, God damn it. (laughs) I thought you would think this is cool that I made this thing from this book that you like. And they were like, it tastes like a graham cracker. And I was like, yeah, it does. I should have just bought some goddamn graham crackers. (laughs) So uh, that's... That's how I feel about it. And I'm sh- I'm haven't looked because I just found that one online, but I'm sure there's a Lord of the Rings cookbook and it's probably like really pretty looking. Mm-hmm. But but fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I feel like it's not none of these fandom cookbooks I feel are things that you're going to add to your like regular cooking rotation but for that time when you're an obsessive type a planner mm-hmm. uh, who is throwing a fandom themed party so me um mm-hmm. <laughs> like, i am the sort of chump who would be like yeah i'm gonna if they don't the library doesn't have this i'm gonna pay 25 dollars to get this book so that i can get these recipes or at least try and find someone who's typed them up somewhere on the internet yeah i think these books well, I think these books often, um, more often than they're pegged to books, are pegged to TV shows. And, like, yeah. she says something in the beginning about um, how they made them wait until the stars show came out. Yeah, because she started this blog. The blog, I think, started before the show, and it went along with the books. But, yeah, then the cookbook right. ended up tied to the show. And I think people have, like, watching parties like every week they get together and like watch Outlander and like make things or cause like I know Game of Thrones is like one of the big oh, yeah. popular fandom cookbooks. Um, and there've been a bunch that are all like TV shows. So I feel like that's where they sell, but yeah, like they also like fan conferences. I think these are like huge at fan conferences. Like I was looking up stuff about the author and, um, there are pictures of her and like other fandom cookbook authors, like at fan conferences, signing cookbooks for people. Yeah. I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe on a smaller scale, like a smaller scale convention, usually at the bigger conventions, there's not any space to make food. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you're just in a hotel room and you basically just eat granola bars and food court food for five days mm-hmm. and then come home and eat six salads. Um, <laughs> but it's definitely like, I can see, I'm sure that parties, like I'm, I'm thinking of Dragon Con, there's a lot of parties that are based around like room parties and stuff around different fandoms. And I can definitely see like at one of those people who are nearby, you know, whipping up some of the shit from these books and bringing them Mm -hmm. to that sort of thing. Or just, like, selling the book itself, like, not even cooking things. Um, Definitely. I'm positive that it's a big seller, and I'm positive that at Outlander fan conventions and things like that, Mm -hmm. Teresa Carl Sanders is in high demand. And also, like, at um, the American Library Association Conference and probably some of the other library conferences there's like um a cookbook 
I don't know, not a corner, but I'll call it a cookbook corner, and they have, like, different um, cookbook authors come and, like, demonstrate a recipe and then do a book signing, and I'm mm-hmm. sure at l- one of those, Teresa Colonel Sanders would be, like, a huge hit among the librarians, <laughs> among that, like, very specific, like, cookbook mm-hmm. area of the ALA convention. <laughs> so, Yeah. I also was looking, because um, we'll share a link to this uh, on the show notes for this episode, but Paula had sent an AV Club interview with, uh, I forgot her name, and I'll put it up, but with a woman who has written uh, several of these kind of fandom cookbooks, um, like the World of Warcraft one and some other ones, and it was really interesting to hear her talk about how she would go through and, like, for Warcraft, like, look where in the game that item dropped and, like, look at what it looked like on the screen and then kind of go backwards to, like, oh, well, it's this fictional animal, but that's probably kind of, like, beef, so here we go, <laughs> or, like, whatever. I can't imagine. <laughs> where Yeah, whereas um, Teresa Colonel Sanders, I think, only is Outlander, and, like, she doesn't do a lot of these. She's just, like, very dedicated to her cookbook and her blog and, like, Outlander. But maybe also is a chef, just, like, regularly? But yeah, I think I this is, like, to... her only cookbook. Yeah, I tried to figure out what she does. It seems like maybe she does, like, catering or something. Um, I was not really able to figure out if she, like, has a restaurant or what her deal is. Yeah, because a couple times in the note, she references that she lives in a town of, like, population 2000 in Canada. Mm-hmm. So, And it definitely is, like, I know that when you have one of these, like, really niche fandom related blogs that are popular like once your fandom starts to get more popular publishing companies and um like all of whoever the licensing agent is for that particular show or movie or whatever like snatch these people up and try to give them contracts so that they can make money off of this thing that you know it's technically legal for them to do but right now they're not making any money but if they were to put it in a book people will buy it and then they get some money too and everyone's happy Mm-hmm. Um, like the number of people who like run very like niche tumblers who then are like just offered random book deals for their tumbler that is very specifically Game of Thrones like weird crafts and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's like a knitting book about Outlander too, right? Yeah, Highlander knits. Mm-hmm. Um, also an Outlander coloring book, which I th- I think that was just like commissioned by. I don't know, by Outlander. I don't think that came out of, like, a fan project originally, but I'm not sure. Yep. Um, Should we move on and talk about the recipes that we specifically tried and how they went for us? Sure. Why don't you talk about the mushroom soup first? Okay. Um, Well, it's a... It's called Cream of Non-Toxic Mushroom Soup. Yes. (laughs) Which is reassuring. (laughs) That's a reference to the fact that the recipe was pulled from a one of the books where, like, they're served deadly mushroom soup, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, this soup is not deadly. Um, <laughs> Thank yeah, you. <laughs> and it's just, like, a very classic cream mushroom soup. Um, I was looking at it, and I was like, my recipe did not have herbs when we were talking about herbs later. But then in the photo, there are herbs on top of it, but it doesn't call oh, for them. She's topped it. That's very deceptive. Yes. Um, but I thought it was good. It was, I mean, it was, you know, classic. It was easy. It's, you know, this is sort of how, how you make cream mushroom soup. <laughs> nice. But I liked it. Yeah. All right. So as Kate mentioned, we had our, like, a small two-person Outlander party for people who don't actually <laughs> like Outlander. And, Fun party. Uh, yeah, it rolls. <laughs> I made, ahead of time, I mentioned earlier, I made these uh, cinnamon scones, which are Fiona's cinnamon scones. I don't know who the fuck Fiona is. And in the notes, she says that Fiona scones would not have been like this. But um, as I mentioned, they were kind of... I was supposed to grate some butter and do some stuff. It was a little bit complicated, and my ones turned out a little bit jacked up looking. Like, I don't... You're supposed to, like, roll it and then smush it and then cut it, and I don't think I did that quite right. Like, mine kind of looked like monkey bread and not, like, a scone. But they tasted good, and then I also made the broccoli salad, which... 
There was a vegan adaptation. Oh, I haven't mentioned yet. I thought this cookbook was decent at offering, like, vegan, vegetarian, and then Mm -hmm. also gluten-free options, which I personally don't care as much about gluten-free because I'm not that. But there were a lot that seemed like either already were or could be adapted to be gluten-free. So I made this broccoli salad. I made the vegan version. And it's basically just, like, a straight-up, like, Midwestern Pollock recipe. (laughs) And it's just, like... You know, broccoli and cauliflower and then mayonnaise and vinegar and sugar to make that kind of, like, potluck dressing. And then uh, the vegetarian version was to put pecans and cranberries in it, or you could put bacon in it. It's fine. It's I would eat it at a potluck. I mostly made it because I realized everything else we were doing was, like, fried or baked. <laughs> I was like, oh, we should do a vegetable, probably. <laughs> uh, so the other things that we did, we did... The uh, goat cheese bacon tarts, which were, I mean, they were, they were good. They yeah. were all good things. Um, we, we took, I took a lot of shortcuts. I just don't have the energy to make my own puff pastry. Nope. <laughs> so I bought a uh, puff pastry from Trader Joe's and I brought a uh, pre-cooked bacon And she does say in the instructions, you know, here's how to make the puff pastry, or if you want, you can use pre-made. Yeah. Well, I went to good old TJ's Mm -hmm. and uh, picked up some pre-made. And and they were were good. Yeah. Um, You know, I'll basically eat goat cheese on anything, and uh, with anything, I have been known to just sit with a spoon and goat (laughs) cheese and eat it. So really, goat cheese on top of a pastry... With, like, a fried sage leaf on top is pretty tasty. Yeah, that's our most prominent herb, is we fried the sage leaves. Which, I'd never... I don't know, Paula, have you had fried sage leaves on things? Is that, like, a thing to do? Yeah, um, you would do, like, it's really common... Well, it used to be trendier to do, like, a sage butter sauce for, like, gnocchi or pasta or something. So you would, like brown butter with sage in it and then like serve it with the crispy sage crumbled on top okay um this is like with the leaf whole it's like fried and then whole and then on top Mm. i mean it looks like a cute little garnish yeah um they were tasty and then we did the beer battered corn fritters which were not a mostly put together it was i mean yeah like frying foods is always a little like uh like a little annoying to do but it they were pretty easy um the only beer we had was pumpkin beer, so we were not sure how that was going to work out. But fine. It doesn't taste like pumpkin at all, so I would say do, like, whatever beer you have. Yeah, it barely tastes like beer. <clears throat> yeah, I, well, I was going to say, it mostly tastes like beer, and it doesn't really taste like corn. It mostly just tastes like fried, yeah. which I don't really have a problem <laughs> with, but it's fine. Like, I don't think this is, like, an exceptional, like, fried corn thing recipe, but it's it was good. Yeah. Um, and then we did the cold oil fries. Oh, yeah. Which are already gone. Yeah, we ate those first. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the recipe was just one potato. (laughs) The recipe cracked me up because it was like one potato, oil, and salt, and that was it. And it was just that. Yeah. I mean, they were good. They were, it was, you really can't go wrong frying potato. (laughs) Nope. So that was really good. We did that and then ate it immediately. Immediately. Just, they were not, did not even have time to get cold. Nope. Uh, And then, Kate, you made a cocktail. Yes, and then I made the St. Germain's Poison, I think it was called. Yeah, that sounds right. Which was actually, it's very similar to a cocktail that we had, me, but we being, me and uh, Becca, when we were in Arkansas for a friend's wedding, we were at some fancy restaurant and we both got this cocktail and it was really good to the point where, like, she took a picture of the recipe and went home and started experimenting until she could recreate it. Mm. Um, And that one was slightly different than this, but, you know, similar enough. And uh, as Renata knows, we keep not only, like, gin in the house, but about six different types of gin. And we buy tonic bottles by the liter. So, or by the two liter bottle, rather. (laughs) So um, anything with gin and tonic is going to go over well for me. Yeah, it's basically just gin and tonic, but elderflower liqueur and a lime twist. That sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, it is good. Basically done with it. Yep. Yeah, a lot of the cocktails, and actually none of the cocktails were, like, things that I had on hand to make. Some of them seem a little, like, I don't know. I'm just, like, a very simple creature. Like, almost any time I see a cocktail recipe, I'm like, I am not going to do that. (laughs) 
I will go to a bar and have someone do that for me. Yeah, like, I, and also, it just, it's the following the recipe that I just, I have a very heavy hand when I'm making drinks. (laughs) 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 And I, you know, the whole idea of measuring and all of that, like, I normally don't even bother. I just pour some tonic and some gin on top or some Malibu and some tonic or... Even when I make, like, um, for the last Twilight drinking game episode we did, I was like, oh, I'll make French 75s. And I was looking at the recipe, and I was like, there's not enough gin in this. This is just, I'm just going to pour a glass of champagne and keep pouring gin in it until it's full and put some lemon in. It's it's fine. (laughs) That way. So, yeah. Cocktails are not historically accurate, either. They wouldn't have had cocktails in 18th century Scotland. They would have just drank. Like, what, beer and scotch, right? I would assume. Yeah. Because cocktails were 19th century, so... Although I'm looking through this now, and most of the intros to the cocktails are not actually the, like, old-timey Scotland era. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, maybe that was one of the things Claire brought back, like... Because one of them... One of them includes a... One of the recipes includes a quote from Claire about how she had to teach people that tomatoes weren't poison because they thought that they were. So maybe she also introduced mixology to the 18th century. It seems likely. <laughs> Any other, I guess, thoughts about the cookbook? I just there's straight up a recipe for cinnamon toast in this, which, I mean, again, I guess that was in the book, but also, do you need a recipe for cinnamon toast? Right? Like, it's I a weird kind of... I that a lot in, uh, like, across the board cookbooks people will like do these crazy simple recipes and you're like i don't but some people need recipes so and then yeah. in the introduction for it even she was like you could just to- toast some bread put some butter on it and pour some cinnamon sugar on top and that would be fine but you could also do it this way i guess that's true because her recipe technically is like mixing up a cinnamon butter and then putting it on the toast yeah mm. that sounds good <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that's Outlander Kitchen, and uh, we'll move on then to our dramatic readings, where I'm going to read Diana Gobbledon's introduction to this book, because it made me laugh, and then we're going to just read a, the introduction to one of the recipes that we each made. So it's, it's a little different from normal, because it's a cookbook and not a regular book. So here's Diana's introduction. Food disappears all the time, especially when you have small children, teenage boys, husbands, girlfriends, or holiday guests. But even when you're home alone, the siren song of savory snacks echoes faintly behind the refrigerator door. The fact is that every living thing has to eat, and people being the inventive creatures they are, we seldom settle for grubs from under the nearest rock or even raw salmon swatted out of a stream. No, we like our food varied, imaginative, tasty, and usually cooked. Hence the constant demand for something new and delicious. My first encounter with Teresa Carl Sanders was some years ago, when she emailed me to ask my permission to use brief quotes from my novels in conjunction with her website. A professional chef with a beautiful and mouthwatering website, she had become intrigued with all the mentions of food in the Outlander novels, and wanted to explore some of these dishes, inventing or adapting recipes, then posting the results with instructions, photos, and videos, with a relevant quote from one of the novels alongside. Cool, I said. Why not? There's something rather odd about the Outlander novels. True. People who read them seem to be creatively inspired to do all manner of wonderful things. At this point in my career, I'd had people ask permission to name resources, show dogs, and even a housing development after my books, or the people, places, and objects in them. Creative fans had composed ballads, symphonies, and band arrangements based on the books. There was even a CD, Outlander, the musical. People make amazing jewelry, Christmas ornaments, standing stone birthday cakes, and lighted Halloween pumpkins carved with a back view of Jamie Fraser in the nude. To say nothing of soaps, candles, herbal concoctions, Lord John Grey tea, and La Dame Blanche white wine. A cooking website, even one with recipes like Stephen Bonnet's balls, seemed refreshingly normal. 
Speaking of Stephen Bonnet's balls, I met Teresa for the first time in the flesh when she came to a book signing at a writer's conference in British Columbia, bearing a green glass pot filled with said balls. Delicious pretzel balls filled with bittersweet chocolate. Had I any doubts as to her bona fides as a chef, they would have vanished in an instant, just like Stephen Bonnet's balls did. I'm skipping a few chapter or paragraphs, and I will go to her conclusion. Food is, of course, a matter of passionate interest to everyone. Tastes may differ, but not the basic need, the appetite for food. And one needs no explanation for the swift disappearance of any food prepared from this delicious and imaginative collection. Congratulations, Teresa. Congratulations, Teresa. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) All right. Um, I'll turn it over to Paula to read the mushroom, the non-toxic mushroom soup recipe. Yes. So um, (laughs) this uh, excerpt is from A Breath of Snow and Ashes, Chapter 2, which is called Dutch Cabin. Girl Scout handbook, Brianna said. She glanced at the men, but no one was near enough to hear. Her mouth twitched, and she looked away from the body, holding out her open hand. Never eat any strange mushrooms, she quoted. There are many poisonous varieties, and distinguishing one from another is a job for an expert. Roger found these growing in a ring by that log over there. Moist, fleshy caps, a pale brown with white, warty spots. The open gills and slender stems so pale as to look almost phosphorescent in the spruce shadows. They had a pleasant, earthy look to them that belied their deadliness. Panther toadstools, I said, half to myself, and picked one gingerly from her palm. Agaricus pantherinus, or what that's what they will be called once somebody gets around to naming them properly. <laughs> pantherinus, because they kill so swiftly like a striking cat. I could see the goose flesh ripple on Brianna's forearms, raising the soft red gold hairs. She tilted her hand and spilled the rest of the deadly fungus on the ground. That's it. Yeah, so I also, when I'm reading books and see a passage about toxic mushrooms, think I could make a mushroom soup out of this. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, then I did, you know? (laughs) I don't know what that says about me. (laughs) All right, I'm going to read the introduction to the goat cheese and bacon tarts, which is from Chapter 4 of Voyager. It was a savory made of goat's meat and bacon, and he saw Fergus's prominent Adam's apple bob in the slender throat at the smell of it. He knew they saved the best of the food for him. It didn't take much looking at the pinched faces across the table. When he came, he brought what meat he could, snared rabbits or grouse, sometimes a nest of plover's eggs, but it was never enough for a house where hospitality must stretch to cover the needs of not only family and servants, but the families of the murdered Kirby and Murray. At least until spring, the widows and children of his tenants must bide here, and he must do his best to feed them. Sit down by me, he said to Jenny, taking her arm and gently guiding her to a seat on the bench beside him. She looked surprised. It was her habit to wait on him when he came, but sat down gladly enough. It was late, and she was tired. He could see the dark smudges beneath her eyes. That is from Voyager Chapter 4, The Dunbonnet. And uh, here at the end, vegetarian options were tough to come by in the 18th century, and goat meat can be hard to find for some in the 21st, so I'm claiming food from fiction license with this switch up from a meat pie to a one-bite puff pastry topped with a savory goat cheese spread. Uh, So basically, read that section, and I've made something completely different that doesn't sound anything that's like that at all. And here we are. Our last one is the broccoli salad. Uh, this excerpt is from A Breath of Snow and Ashes, Chapter 54. God, that's a lot of chapters. <laughs> a hum of pleasant anticipation rose around me as people began metaphorically to loosen their belts, squaring up to the tables with a firm determination to do their duty in honor of the occasion. Jamie was still stuck fast to Mrs. McDonald, I saw. He was helping her to a dish of what looked from the distance to be a broccoli salad. He looked up and saw me, beckoned me to join them, but I shook my head, gesturing with my fan toward the buffet tables, where the guests were setting to in the businesslike manner of grasshoppers in a barley field. 
I didn't want to lose the opportunity of inquiring about Manfred McGillivray before the stupor of satiety satiety settled over the crowd. And then, yeah, again, here she says, Crunchy and sweet, this raw broccoli and cauliflower salad looks quite different from the 18th century version that would have adorned Jocasta's table. But it is an easy make-ahead recipe that makes a delicious and colorful contribution to any modern-day potluck. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) So that's pretty much what this book is like. Like, little chunks of the Outlander books, and then some, like, mostly pretty good recipes, if slightly confusingly presented. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I guess now we'll move on to Would You Rather? Let's. I'll ask, would you rather only ever eat food from this cookbook or become a vegetarian vampire? See, the thing, the the feeling that I have with that is that (laughs) as a vampire, as a vegetarian vampire, you, that just means that they don't eat humans. They can still eat whatever the hell else they want, but they get no joy out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I get a lot of joy out of eating, as anyone who's ever seen me in person can attest. <laughs> so I would have to go, I mean, there's an, there's an okay, there's a lot of different things in this book. There's enough different things that I like. There's french fries, that's really important. Uh-huh. There's like, there's like five different potato recipes, actually. There's the fries, and then there's like roasted potatoes, and then like baked potatoes, and then like a potato stew or something. And potato so. fritters, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, right ahead, there's like three... <laughs> Or four different types of fried potatoes, right? There's there. cinnamon toast. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, there's goat cheese, like, there's shepherd's pie, which is my favorite stupid thing to eat in the winter. Like, I'm a gin and tonic cocktail. I'd be okay. Mm-hmm. I could survive. Yeah, I'm with Kate here. Yeah, me too. I think, yeah. I mean, the food in this book is mostly pretty good. So, like, I think you'd be happy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we wouldn't be able to live forever, but... Do I even want to? I don't think so. No, I don't. <laughs> but wait, if you can only eat from this cookbook for the rest of your life, can you also time travel? No, but that'll come up in further questions. Oh, I see that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, I, yeah, this this one was only about the cookbook. But next, would you rather um, be Amish and have access to all the uh, awesome Amish food? Which, by the way, we've read Amish romance novels, and they're always just talking about, like, pie. And romance, um, or be able to time travel, but only be able to eat food out of this cookbook. Mm. I mean, I still, I still think I'd choose. I, I would like to time travel. Yeah. And as we previously established, this cookbook does cover all of my basics: mm-hmm. fried food and gin. So, you know, yeah, I'd like to time travel. I'll see, you know, the past or whatever. Yeah, also, I mean, Amish food, I mean, the desserts are good. Most of it's not that vegetarian-friendly. You're probably not even allowed to be an Amish vegetarian, so I'll I'll time travel and stick with this cookbook. I guess I'm not super familiar with Amish food. Um, I mean, like, pie sounds great. It's. Uh, I mean, I think it's, like, based a lot on German food, uh, but yeah. it's supposed, I mean, they, like, make it all from scratch, and, like, Amish restaurants are kind of a big deal. Right, right. Well, you know, you and know, from Iowa. Of, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of description in a lot of these Amish romance novels and things of, like, any time there's a celebration, like, all of the different <laughs> types of sweets and all of the different types of cakes and pies and tarts and, like, loving pages dedicated yeah. to how good this food looks. It's, like, the best part of any Amish book that yeah. I've read. <laughs> yeah, I guess the food is kind of a toss-up, but, like, be Amish versus time travel, like, there's a clear winner there. Like, being Amish is not a superpower. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So true. <laughs> Although I'm sure it's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Paula, they're not listening to this podcast, so you can, you can say what you want about them. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> that is true. That's right, Amish people. I'm coming for you. <laughs> uh, I'm not really. I don't have anything else to say about them. <laughs> I just felt emboldened knowing that I was in a safe space for it. <laughs> Last up, would you rather be with Jamie Fraser in the past and have to eat these meals with him, or have Christian Grey begrudgingly take you to IHOP? Um, I, because it does not specifically say time travel in this one, it just 
you're with him. Like no, in the past with. Her? Oh, like you're stuck in the past. Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna go with Christian Grey because I like IHOP. It's not as fancy <laughs> as any of these foods, but they have good waffles. Um, and it's cheap, and they have, like, nice specials around the holidays sometimes, and I would This podcast is brought to you by IHOP. (laughs) (laughs) Just to be clear. (laughs) I would much rather, like, sit through one begrudging meal with Christian Grey, and then be like, okay, you're picking up the check, bye, and leave, (laughs) than be stuck in the past with Jamie Fraser forever. Hmm. Yeah, my thing with this cookbook and, like, with all these historical-type romance novels is, like, I just don't think it would be that fun to live in the past. Like, any of the past, but especially not this past. Even with Jamie Fraser, who's, like, you know, the hottest whatever, whatever. Yeah, I'm I'm going to IHOP as well. I guess I would also pick IHOP, but I do want to say that I would pick Jamie Fraser over Christian Grey. Mm-hmm. In general. Yeah. Well, it's such a toss Like, if being with Jamie means I have to stay in the past, though, I wouldn't. Also, like, as crazy as this sounds, oh, fucking take a shot if you're <laughs> listening to this and playing the worst bestsellers drinking game. As crazy as it sounds, I almost feel like Christian respects Anna more than Jamie respects whatever the fuck her name was. Claire. 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 You know, like, because I'm thinking of, like, that scene where he, like... Spanks Claire. Oh my god. Also, one of these recipes, um, it was like nettle cake or something, and it just starts off with a description of him like rubbing nettles over her breasts and her and him being like, you know, it's tradition to hit naughty wives with nettles. And she's like, well then do it. And he's like, no, it'll hurt you. And she's like, do it. And then it's like, anyway, here's this recipe. And it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> in the book that we read, like, He's like, oh, like, you disobeyed me, so I have to hit you. And at first, like, she's kind of laughing about it, but then it hurts, and she's upset by it. And she's really mad at him. And, like, it's, like, I feel like, you know, he still has those kind of, you know... I mean, he's still from, like, 1780, whatever. You know, and this is my wife, and she's my property, even though I love her. Whereas, like, as much as people give Christian Grey shit... He had a very exactly worded contract that he expected people to follow and allowed them to put, give input into it and take things off the table if they were uncomfortable with it. And as much as he's like a whiny, annoying, crazy man baby. Okay, we get it. You love Christian Grey. <laughs> I feel like he would respect my boundaries better than Jamie Fraser would respect my boundaries. And mm-hmm. he would have a gardener to pick all the herbs for you. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't believe how much time in my life is spent defending Fifty Shades of Grey. <sighs> well, let's move on to Reader's Advisory, where Kate suggests you read Fifty Shades of Grey. Because <laughs> she loves it so much. <laughs> Off the top, I'll say, we mentioned this briefly earlier, but just to be clear, if you are a person who just, like, fucking loves Outlander, or if you're shopping for someone who just loves Outlander, like, there's this thing, there's Outlander coloring book, it's like, you know, one of those fancy adult coloring books, there's um, Highlander knits, which is knitting patterns based on Outlander, there's the Outlandish Companion, which is, I don't even really know what's in it, like, more Outlander facts... Um, there's a calendar. Every once in a while, if you're on the uh, discount mailing list Zulily, they'll have entire sales of Outlander shit, where it's just a whole page of every Outlander thing you can imagine on sale for like 40% off. So so your reader's advisory is Zulily.com. <laughs> <laughs> and if you are taking that seriously, let me know, because if I refer you, we both get 15 bucks. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, all right, Paula, do you got some cookbooks to throw at us? Yeah, I have two cookbooks to recommend that are fan books that I think are actually really good and worth your time. Um, the first one is the Treme cookbook that's based on the HBO show that takes place in New Orleans. And um, one of the characters on the show is a chef and she has a restaurant. But then there are, were like, and at one point she goes to New York and like, there are all these guest spots of like real life chefs. So the, oh. the cookbook is like New Orleans classics and then recipes from like David Chang and Eric Repair and like 
all of these really good chefs. So that's number one, forward by Anthony Bourdain. Mm. Just like a solid sort of New Orleans, but also other things cookbook. Uh, and then the other one that I have to recommend is the Bob's Burgers cookbook, which um, I think is also based off a blog, but this guy went through and um, maybe it's a woman. Sorry. I think it's a guy. That's very sexy. Um, went through and took all the pun specials off the chalkboard and like made recipes for them to be actual burgers. Um, and they're great. And I've cooked from both of these and recommend them. Yeah, I think I heard about the Bob's Burgers cookbook on NPR at some point. I think they liked it also. Yeah, it's good. They're like more creative. The recipes are more creative than you would think. Like they they developed them into like these really cool, fun burgers. It is written. Oh, see, I don't. I can't determine gender because it was written by Lauren Bouchard, but spelled L O R E N, which I think is like a Swedish dude's name. Well, Lauren Bouchard is the person who created Bob's Burgers. Oh, the show. Oh, Cole Bowden is oh, here the is. guy. Okay. What about just since you're here and it's your area of expertise? What if you were just going to recommend a cookbook to somebody to you know cook from? <laughs> Martha Stewart, all the way. Nice. Did you hear? Did you hear about her new show with Snoop Dogg? Oh yes, I have heard. It's great. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Very exciting. Um, but yeah, Martha's recipes always work, and they're great, and they're tested, and you know, they're food you want to eat. I like Martha Stewart. Can't go wrong. Great. Good to know. Mm-hmm. What about? Have, do you have any opinions about Coolio's cookbook or cooking show? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, back in the day when I was first reviewing cookbooks, I wrote a review of the Coolio cookbook. <laughs> was uh, it favorable? It wasn't a review. It was more like here's all the funny things in the Coolio cookbook. I guess. I remember. I I like impulse checked it out from the library because it was on like a cookbook display and my favorite thing was that he measured spices in nickel bags and dime bags yep. <laughs> instead of teaspoon and tablespoon I think <laughs> yeah yep. it's good stuff I used to own a copy um I'll throw out my go-to is I don't uh, Paul you can judge me based on this um my go-to is Mark book Bittman's how to cook everything vegetarian oh, that's it, a good book. it tells me Tells me how to do things, and they work. Yeah, I, I have his, uh, his How to Cook Everything Regular. Mm. I gave my brother How to Cook Everything Regular. It's not called How to Cook Everything Regular. <laughs> <laughs> it's just called How to Cook Everything. <laughs> but uh, it's pretty regular. It's pretty good. <laughs> He's coming out with uh, How to Bake Everything. Mm. Or maybe it already came out. It's this fall sometime. But... Okay. So, yep. Mark Bittman, we like him. I think. I think yeah, that's it. I don't. I don't really do a lot of. I have like the six things that I cook all the time. Mm. Yeah, if I'm looking for new recipes, it's usually like, oh, I want to use up the spinach, so I'm just gonna Google spinach recipe and see what happens. Yeah, or that's like the main thing outside of Mark Bettman. You know, someone being like, oh, me saying like, oh, I'm making cupcakes for your party. What do you like? And they're like strawberries, and then I'm like, okay, well, what interesting strawberry recipe can I find? Pinterest. Mm-hmm. But from now on, I'm only cooking out of this Outlander cookbook uh, <laughs> due to the legally binding restrictions placed on me by uh, Would You Rather. <laughs> so look forward to that. <laughs> all right. So we'll have um, all of those and maybe some other things we dig up on our reader's advisory section up at worstbestsellers.com if you want some cookbooks, etc. And uh, now we'll move on to our candy pairing, where we suggest a candy to go along with this cookbook. Uh, mine is just herbs, because of Outlander. And also because, honestly, these recipes could use more herbs. Yeah. Surprisingly few herbs. <laughs> uh, I recommended fun, fun size Snickers, because we bought ten bags of candy. <laughs> I, I live in a new ho- uh, new-to-me house, so we hadn't done Halloween here before. And uh, bought, like, ten bags of candy, and I think we had ten trick-or-treaters. Oh. So I ate fun-sized Snickers while reading this, and I thought it was an excellent pairing. <laughs> Snickers like a good survival food. Like, if you were going to go back in time and have those in yeah. your bag, then you're like, oh, it's basically like a protein bar, really. <laughs> yeah, peanuts, Just like man. a protein bar. <laughs> 
Uh, my candy pairing is goat cheese, which isn't a candy, but I ate it like candy while I was putting together those goat cheese tarts, and I will continue to eat it like candy, because when I bought the goat cheese for the goat cheese tarts, I was at Trader Joe's, so I also bought three other kinds of goat cheese. <laughs> Good work. Yep. <laughs> All right, we'll move on then to the Rock Paper Snicked, where <laughs> Kate will say who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, <laughs> and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book, and Paula will choose which would best enhance the book, or choose paper, which is to leave it as is. Okay. <laughs> All right. If the Rock were in this book, uh, with each recipe, he'd include a photograph of himself eating about 10 times the recommended serving of each dish and grinning at the camera. Uh, if Wolverine were in this book, he would eat Brianna's brighties, which are meat pies, off of his claws and complain that all the cocktails were too fancy. Okay. And I have to fit, I have to pick which would make it better? Yes. Hmm. It normally makes a little bit more sense than this. <laughs> or does it? <laughs> I feel like The Rock would improve this book, but I think Wolverine makes more sense in this book. Interesting. Like, he feels very outlandery to me. Like, and he's right that the cocktails are all too fancy. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's really, you know, just follow your heart. I, well, my heart is always with The Rock. All right. <laughs> and I, I mean, they were good photos in this, but they would be better if, Wolver or if The Rock were in them. Yes. And Wolverine. Okay, cool. Uh, good game. So now we'll say the moral of the story. Mine is just uh, to quote RuPaul, click, clack, make that money. I said same, also porridge. <laughs> click, click, clack, clack make, make, that make, porridge. make that porridge. <laughs> Which in the book is spelled porridge with like T-C-H. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I would say my moral of the story is that fried food is delicious in every era. True. All right, now it's time for Dorote's Corner, where uh, my cat Dorote will give his opinion on the book. <coughs> All right, you're right, Dorote. I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't make any of the fish tacos for you, but it just seemed really wasteful. I know, you, like, probably wouldn't eat more than, like, maybe one anyway. Yeah, maybe I'll get you some, like, takeout later, but... <laughs> And while I think that it's, it's really, you know, ambitious of you to want to make the cat out Outlander cookbook <laughs> companion, I think it'll take a lot more time and effort than you think. I mean, go for it. Go for your dreams. <laughs> but maybe start with a blog first, like Teresa Carl Sanders did. Yeah. Good advice to Dorde. All right. Thanks, Dorde. Do any humans have any closing thoughts? I'm excited to eat all this food on the table. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought this was a perfectly lovely book. It was a little weird, but <laughs> it was it was fine. Yeah, I mean, anything related to Outlander, I think, is going to be a little weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like I've said multiple times through this, I think if you like Outlander, you would probably be, like, stoked to have this cookbook. Mm-hmm. All right. Paula, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. <laughs> uh, if you would like to continue to follow Worst Bestsellers, you can follow us on Twitter, where we're Worst Bestseller with no S, because we accidentally left the S back in the 18th century. <laughs> uh, you can like us on Facebook, where we're spelled normally, as well as goodreads.com if you want to talk about the books there. You it's actually kind of hard to find on Goodreads, but if you go to worstbestsellers.com, you can click on our Goodreads link. You can also subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. If you do that, please take a moment to rate and review us. It pops us up a little bit in the charts and makes it easier for people to find us. Uh, if you don't, <laughs> so that they can yell at us about Outlander. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, if you don't rate and review us, then how are you going to see the greatest review? Well, the second greatest review that we've ever gotten claiming that we made up our confusion about Outlander. <laughs> you can also support us on Patreon, uh, where you can pledge a small monthly recurring donation. Uh, and when you do that, you get a whole bunch of great subscriber perks. You can find that at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. 
We used some of that Patreon money on goat cheese, and it was very well spent. <laughs> and you can follow me personally at Renata Snacks. You can follow me personally on Twitter at 14across. I'm at Paula Forbes on Twitter. You can read her reviews at LuckyPeach.com and other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it, actually. Oh. Just Peach. <laughs> okay. But I write, I write other things for other people, yeah. All right. Cool. Um, and we'll be back in two weeks. I can't fucking believe I'm saying this. <laughs> we'll be back in two weeks with The Immortal Nicholas by Glenn Beck. <laughs> or... Or we'll just have deleted the podcast and the internet because we can't handle it. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> One of those using, things. Uh, some of that sweet Patreon money to send a very nice gift to returning guest Caitlin, who is reading her second Glenn Beck Christmas book because I guess she feels beholden to me because we lived together for a year. I don't know. So that should be great. <laughs> uh, thanks again to Paula and thanks everyone for listening. Bye. 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 I was so excited I ripped my headphones out.